But um, so let me jump in because uh, time is short, right? So I like to listen to lots of podcasts and I, and I heard a pretty good story that I want to share about a pastor named Ben that just applies so well to what I want to share today. And um, so when he was a couple of, of years out of college, uh, he got a phone call from his sister who was living in Europe at the time. And uh, sister said, hey, a friend of mine and I are traveling to Italy and we want to go spend a few days there, but we have no research. We have no place. I have no plan, so we need you, big brother, to figure out what we're supposed to do and where we're supposed to stay, and then fly over to Rome and then meet us by the statue of that one, you know. <laughs> and so in hindsight, Ben was talking about this. He said it's brilliant what she was doing because she was his baby sister, and, and she knew that um, the thought of having his baby sister, not knowing the language, not, not knowing what she was doing, and just showing up and vulnerably in a foreign country um, would send panic into his heart. And she was right. And she knew as a planner that panic would lead to Pastor Ben uh, to study and create a plan for this vacation. And so he did that. Pastor Ben, he went to, to Barnes and Noble. Remember when we had Barnes and Noble store, bookstore that night? And he grabbed every book on Italy and he began to study. And he did so for the next several nights, as long as he could before the trip. And what he discovered was that most of the travel books that he picked up were complete garbage. Because for two reasons. Number one, they were filled with lots of adjectives, just flower you know, that uh, describing what you would see and, and how majestic it is and how glorious and transcendent. And, and Ben's reading it like, I don't need your adjectives. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even want to look at the pictures of the art. I'm about to see it. I'll come up with my own adjectives, right, um, of how to navigate I, but, uh, the, the place. But you know, what, I, what I really need is I need to learn how to navigate the airport because I don't know the language. And so the books were garbage to him. He didn't need to see a picture of Michelangelo's David because, uh, you know, that's indeed him, but I don't need to see that. I need to know how to navigate the train station to get to David because I don't speak the language. So it was a pretty discouraging couple of days for, for Pastor Ben as, uh, until finally he was a pope. But he, he came across a book written by Rick Steele, and it did not contain a lot of flowery language, uh, nor did it contain except some crude hand-drawn ones, uh, data. And Pastor Benny's talking about this, that he talks about reading in it, saying things like, you know, when you land in Rome, uh, don't give travelers checks. They're a waste of time. Don't exchange money at the cashier's place because they mark it up too much. Um, go to gate number four, because a machine there with a, a, a low charge and, and pull your money there. You know, things like that. Pastor, <laughs> Pastor Benny is like, okay, you know, all right. This is, this is good information. The author continues, he's reading, says, then you need to catch a bus to get to the train station to get to the city. Buy your tickets outside because they mark it up 20%. Buy your tickets inside and you'll save money. And so this is a total switch from the other. This one was what he needed, right? And so now Pastor Ben's trying to take notes, trying to, you know, get all this good information in his mind, trying to memorize things. He was highlighting it all up. He shows up at the airport to get all this information digested. And he says, while he was sitting there reading his book in the airport, this girl comes walking by and she's like, excuse me, are you going to Italy? I mean, across the book, in front of the book that he's reading, it, it, it is emblazoned across, you know, Italy. And, and Ben was like, yeah, I'm just reviewing the section of my book about, you know, navigating the train stations. And she, he said that and she was clutching her little book and she went, your book? I said, and we could do that. Many of us uh, were in situations in life. I've never been to this place relationally. I've never been to this place financially. I've never been to this place because of a series of bad life decisions that I made. And, and I don't know which way to go. I need someone to guide me. 
And James will say, to be the Bible, there's the Quran, there's the Vedas, there's many other religious writings. Just get a book, read it, and you'll be better off than the, the people who don't have a book. But that's not what the Bible says about itself. And that's not what the brother of Jesus, James, is saying about the words of Jesus. He says, no, there's something different about this one. The word is alive. The, the, this book is not safe. And, and before you do the work in this book, this book has to do a work on you. And so that God's move in us starts first. And James is going to say, you need to be created by the word of God. And then you need to be implanted with the word of God. And then you need to get liberated by the word of God. That's the flow and the progression. But what does that mean? Well, let's talk about it. So he says, number one, you need to be created by the word. That's verse 18, where he's talking about God. And he says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. He was talking about the glory of God, that God is like a father of lights. He gives every perfect gift and every good gift. He's a good dad who loves you and he wants to do good for you. And then exhibit A to James was that out of God's own desires, he brought you forth. He brought you forth. And we talked about that in the last message. It's the birthing imagery, right? That he gave birth to you. It's, it's interesting because James starts it there that, that what you and I need more than we need a list of rules to follow, <laughs> more than we need steps to take, it says you need to be born again. That's what James says. You need to become something new by the grace and the will of God. He has to remake you into something new. That's what he says. And that's the testimony of your Bible. Uh, Jesus said as much when Nicodemus came to sat with him. Yeah, yeah, sit with him, sorry. Do you remember Nicodemus? He, he, he had a lot of the scriptures memorized, right? He had that knowledge. He came to Jesus and he, and he had all these words memorized, but his soul still felt empty. And so how many of you know it's possible to sit in church, but really not have the power of God coursing through you? To, to have grown up around his word, but still feel cold inside. So Nicodemus had the word memorized, but something wasn't right with him. So he snuck over to meet with Jesus and, and didn't even have an articulated question. I mean, he just said, hey, you've, you've got to be from God because, you know, there's nobody like you. And, and Jesus looks at him and he says, I tell you the truth. What do you say? You must be born again. That's a devastating thing to say to a religious guy. I mean, because for Nicodemus, it's like, I will be blessed if I do this and I've done all the right things. That's his mindset. And Jesus points to the one moment in, in his life over which Nicodemus had absolutely no control, his birth. <laughs> I mean, the man probably started memorizing the Bible from like six months, right? In the beginning, God, you know, <laughs> uh, but he had no contribution to his own birth. We know that, right? Um, you did not help mom when, she, when you came into the world. You, you didn't pitch in. You didn't, you know, push and tell mom, I got it from here. That's not how it works. You, you did not do that. She did it. She did all the work. You were a passive participant in joining us in the world. Um, and you were here by her will and by her grace, you were made alive and you sit here with us. And James, that's where this whole thing starts. It's not with you doing a thing. It's with him doing everything. It's not you doing the work, it's God doing the work. Of his own will, he brought you forth. Are you hearing that this morning? You, you didn't do anything to get in the family of God. God invited you in by his grace. You must be born again, Nicodemus. 
That's, that's what the whole of scripture talks about. Ephesians 2 says it this way, you were dead in your transgression and sins. That's the message of the Bible. No, you're not just a, a little lost and need some instruction. You're, you're not a little confused and need some clarity. Uh, you're not a little discouraged and, and need a little pep talk. It's that you were dead and you need life. You need a miracle. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, but God who is rich in mercy made you alive. That, that's the glorious thing about it. That's, that's why we sing. You know, we don't sing. You've given us practical examples of, of ways to live life, you know. <laughs> you, you don't sing a lot about a self-help book, but you do sing about a savior. That while I was dead, you were rich in mercy and made me alive in Jesus Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Peter said it this way, blessed be the God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through a resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He was buried and rose so that I could become something new. John, uh, John said it this way, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, right? John, Peter, James, Jesus, all of them over and over again are saying, you must be born again by the mercy of God. The evangelist D.L. Moody was asked one time, why do you keep on saying you must be born again? What do you think he said? You know how he responded? He said, because you must be born again. <laughs> That's where it starts. Before you do the work of this book, God has to do a work on you. Nicodemus, you can't earn your way into my family. It's, it's my mercy that comes to you. And, and that's devastating for people who are self-reliant. But man, it's good news for messed up people. Because my brokenness our brokenness is not the end of our story. The beauty of the gospel is that God makes beauty out of broken things. He makes family out of abandoned things. He brings beauty out of ashes. He's the painter that paints in hues of ultramarine blues, if you're here for that message. You must be born again. You can't do it, but of his own will, he brought you forth. That's what he does. But then look at the way he does it. He says, you were brought forth by the word of truth. How are you born again? Someone preached to you that you're dead, but God can make you alive through Jesus Christ. Someone told you that. Someone spoke the word of truth and you believed and you were born. And for some of you, that happened when you were a little kid, you were five and somebody told you that uh, Jesus loves you and you said, this I know, <laughs> you know? And such a sweet moment and God has loved you. For others, uh, it was over the last six months and you weren't a little kid, you were an adult and, and you went down many sad roads but God pursued you down all of them. And uh, he brought you in here by the hand of maybe of a friend and, and you didn't wanna come, but you heard that the grace of God could even come to you and you believed. And when the word was spoken, having believed you were marked with the seal and the promise of Holy Spirit. You were made alive by the grace of God. You have to be created by the word. And that's what we need. That's what we need. So many people say, I want to see a movement of God. I want to see the spirit of God blow. I want the wind of God to bring revival. In Acts chapter 10, do you know how the word of God breaks forth among the Gentiles? It's when they heard the word of God spoken. Holy Spirit fell on them. Holy Spirit loves the word. Jesus preached the word and Holy Spirit changes hearts. That's how it works. You need to be created by the word. Uh, here's the interesting thing. 
It's not just that someone spoke the truth about Jesus over you and you believe. James will go further than that and say that this word just wasn't spoken over you, but it's lodged into you and it stayed. So you're not just created by the word, but number two, you need to be implanted with the word. And he says, this, this is how he says it, receive with meekness the implanted word. That when the grace of God moves in your life, it's like he takes his word and he shoves it in you and it stays. At one point, Jesus was talking to the religious people, to the church people, and he said, you, you know what your problem is? I just imagine that's how he said things sometimes. <laughs> he said, my word finds no place in you. My word finds no place in you. They, they had it on the outside. They had it memorized. They had it in their head. How many people know you can quote the Bible and still be a jerk? And Jesus is like, hey, you guys have this thing memorized, but it has no place in you. It's not changed your heart. When the word of God and the grace of God is landed on you, it's the implanted word. That's what James called it. It gets into you and it stays. That, that's one of Jesus' first sermons. Do you remember? He began to heal people and people began to gather around him and he's got this critical mass. And then what happened? He got a big group together and he starts talking about the farmer who threw out some seeds. Some were laying on the road, birds ate them. Some landed on the shallow soil. They grew up a little, but then they went away. Others grew, but weeds choked them. Others grew and created a harvest. And then he said, if you have ears, you should be listening. And he, he's like, dropped the mic and left. His followers came to him and they were like, hey Jesus, great talk. Quick question, what was that? Like, why did we just get this random farming lesson? And in Mark chapter four, Jesus says, you know what the seed was? What was it? It was the word. The seed is the word. He said, I'm telling you what's gonna happen. I'm gonna stand up and preach the word. And those souls are like the souls of men and women's hearts. And he said, some of them, their hearts are so hard. And you may have sat in church, you know, every week of your life and the word of God just kind of pings off that flinty heart and it, and it gets eaten up. He said, others, the word lands and it starts to grow, but with a little bit of heat and persecution, it never comes to fruition. He said to others, the word begins to produce fruit in your life, blessings in your life, but then it gets choked. And he said, you know what, what the weed is? The weed is, it's the desire for other things. It's just other things. Look at your phone, right? It'll tell you if it's smart enough. You spent two, maybe three hours today looking at me, statistically speaking looking at your phone and we're like, thank you for letting me know that you other thing, right? <laughs> Some of us just saying statistically, we've got 20 hours a week looking at a screen, but we ain't got two minutes a week for the word of God. And we wonder why there's no fresh breath of God in our lives. The word of God was choked, he said, but with others, that word is gonna land in the soil of your heart and it's gonna explode into life. Because when the word is spoken to you, it doesn't just create you, but it plants in you. And then what happens is it changes you constitutionally. <laughs> Come on, somebody. It changes you. God makes you something new. You're like, you're like the anti-vampire. It's a weird illustration, but whoever came up with vampires, they're basically trying to come up with the opposite of a believer, of a follower of Jesus, right? Because vampires, they feast on death. It changes them constitutionally, and then you become something that lives off of death, right? They're the anti-Christian. That's why they're all scared of a cross. But what's, what's a Christian? You feast on the word of life, 
And then James says it changes you. You become something new and now you live off of the word of life. The word of God is your food. This is your drink. God built this into you. That was the promise of the Old Testament. Um, Do you remember in the book of Deuteronomy that God had given Moses the external law written on the tablets, right? Moses came down, but the people were, you know, made a golden cow and Moses wasn't happy about that. God was, you know, the, the, the people were all sad because they'd abandoned God. And then later Moses came down with the word of God. And remember, what does it say? Moses gives them the whole word of God. In Deuteronomy 5, as Moses is reviewing it, he said, I read to them the whole word of God. And in this big party, they all said, all that is written, we will do. And God said, oh, that you had such a heart. They didn't have the tools. He's a total buzzkill to their party. And, And you see that they broke every law almost immediately. I mean, he said, love one another. And by the time you get to judges, they're chopping people up and sending their body parts to each other. That's a shock. Have you ever done a quiet time in judges and you're like, oh, that was horrible, off to work. (laughs) And, And you're like, what was that about? What it's about is humanity is a mess apart from the grace of God. And so then you you get to the prophets, and in Jeremiah, God says, Hey, you guys, you broke my covenant, and so I'm gonna make a new one. And watch this, here's the new covenant. In Jeremiah 31, he said, I will put my law within them. And I will what? Write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's the new thing. It's not law written on stone, but it's written on your heart. And so you go, what does that mean? Does it mean you just come to Christ and all of a sudden, the, the, you, know, the, you have the Bible scripture memorized? How does this work? Ezekiel clarifies this. He says, when this new covenant comes to a place, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you, and, which will move you to obey my decrees. That's what he does. He doesn't put in you all the law to be memorized. That's not what it's about. He puts you in you an inclination towards it. That's what Holy Spirit does. That's that's the spirit of truth in me moves me to obey. I long for this. I want it. Holy Spirit's in me that the spirit of truth that helped inspire the writing of these words lives off them. This is not my food as a Christian. This is my drink. That's what Peter says. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by you may grow up into salvation. You're built for this. This This is no longer just interesting Right? I mean, it's the picture of if you're out in the desert dying of thirst and someone handed you a glass of water, you wouldn't just go, that's an interesting little study, isn't it? No, you would suck down because it's life. The follower of Jesus doesn't just study the Bible as literature. This is, this is life. This is life. This is the very word of God that brings life into me that gives me more wisdom, that counsels and sets me free. I need this to live. If it's your experience of, you know, my mom told me the the Bible stories when I was a kid, I know the gospel, I believe all that. We can have the spirit of God inside of you. And he's called the spirit of truth. And he loves the word of God. He loves to walk according to his statutes. And Holy Spirit is inclining you to live according to God's word. But you can still be feeding that spirit garbage. And if you are miserable, that could be the root of it. God is, because God has constitutionally messed with you. So now this is your food and this is your drink. 
My food and my drink is to to do the will of my father. Uh, Jesus said that God rebuilt you into something new. And so you're probably not going to be happy until you live according to this word. This is because it's been planted in you. It's what gives you life. It's the spirit of God planted in you that inclines you to the testimonies of God. That's what God's done for you. So that's what little John the Baptist experienced. You remember, he was the only person like, whom Holy Spirit kind of filled when he was in utero that we know about. And, and what happened? God came to Mary and said, you're pregnant with the son of God. I know it's a lot to take in, but as proof, go and visit your, your relative Elizabeth. She's very old, but she'll be very old and pregnant, which is kind of crazy. And, and that will just kind of help you to know that I'm serious about this. So she goes off to visit Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist. And he's, he's gonna be the forerunner of Jesus, right? And gonna tell everybody about him. Both of them are still in their mommy's bellies. But what happens as soon as Mary walks up? You remember? Elizabeth goes, whoa! Little John, (laughs) the baby's super excited. And she's like, do you have the son of God in there? Because this guy in me is going nuts. Why? Because he has the spirit of God in him and Holy Spirit loves to glorify Jesus and walk with him. So little fetus John the Baptist is like, is that who I think it is? (laughs) That baby's going wild. I'm built for him to walk with him, to go with him. That's what God's done to you. You've been created by this word and then implanted with the word. And this is now your food and your drink and it's life to you. And so the last thing to do is number three, be liberated by this word, to walk in accordance with it. And I love that James calls it the law of liberty. You typically don't think about laws and liberty together, but you know, don't laws keep away, you know, freedom, liberty, until you start thinking about the fact that none of you have vacationed in a lawless land, right? Because you realize some of the laws set you free. (laughs) Sometimes structure keeps you from some very dangerous things. And if you remember the context in James, where did he start this letter? He warns them about trials and difficult circumstances in life. And he says, when you hit these trials, these frustrating moments, there's gonna be a temptation. And you're gonna think in that moment that some destructive course of action is actually good for you. Almost every trial will come and serve up as a temptation that if you go for it will lead to destruction. And that's why he warns us here. Hey, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Because uncontrolled anger becomes uncontrolled speech. And you might say something really stupid, right? Slow, slow down, slow down. Don't talk right away. Don't be angry. Why? Because that won't really lead to the righteousness that God requires. And then he gives them by contrast, he says, receive with meekness the implanted word. He's telling you, you're gonna be in a tough spot. You're gonna get frustrated. The trials can unearth temptation. That temptation, if you bite on it, will lead it to destruction. You need to get off that path and do what? With humility, receive the word and then let it lead you a different way. And that will set you free from some really bad choices. I had a kid in youth group when I was a very young youth pastor, one that would, you know, sit... You ever see that, you know, somebody, a kid just like this, you know, when you're, when you're talking, that was him. Like trying to tell you, like, I am the most boredest I've ever been, you know, sitting in youth group. <laughs> Distracted, you know, others, he was hunched over. Every time I'd speak, he tried to look as bored as he possibly could be. He would talk and he'd make noises when I was preaching and he would look mad at me all the time. 
And this kid would drive me crazy. I mean, he was, he was the kid. He was like the thorn in my flesh in, in my first youth group. And some days it took everything in me not to get flaming mad. I mean, this kid would say and do the rudest things. And in my mind, there were times where I just wanted to knock him in the side of the head. Can I just be honest? <laughs> like, go fast and hard. <laughs> Let's see what you have to say to me after that, right? But there was still some part of me that was like, hey, you can't hit a kid. You're a youth pastor. You just can't. <laughs> But I was just so angry and, and I didn't know how to respond. And I remember in my mind, I was like, I've got to punish him. I've got to take him out at the knees, you know. I've got to do something to destroy this kid, right? Because he's trying to destroy me. He's coming after me. I've got to release the hounds. But I remember in that moment thinking, there's wisdom in the counsel of many. And um, I feel like I've read that somewhere. Um, so let me call up some of my leaders and see what they have to say. And I remember having conversations with my pastor and some of the elders in the church, and they're all saying like, don't punish him. Don't, and, and I was like, excuse me? And they started quoting, you know, so annoying. They started quoting scripture. <laughs> Verses like, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. One of them says, Sean, you're not the Lord. <laughs> you can't seek vengeance on this kid. But rather, you know, they're, they're, they're saying things like, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, you give, him, you give him something to drink. You pray for those who persecute you, right? And you love your enemies. And I'm like, I can't love him. <laughs> He'll walk all over me. I need to make an example of him is what I need to do. My pastor said, give this kid some space and let the Lord deal with him. You choose to love and be kind. And man, it was hard to hear, but they just kept on quoting the word. And do you know what happened? One night at youth group, after all the kids had left, he came to me and he was in tears. And um, he started sharing his, his story and it was so hard. He was in foster care and, and that wasn't going well. He just started weeping. And I know that he really didn't want anybody else to see that. So I kind of pulled him around the corner and we prayed and we talked and we prayed some more. And after that night, he carried a totally different demeanor. None of the punk swagger that he had before. None of the rudeness. In fact, he became my number one supporter. This kid started following me around like I was his best friend. He, he set up for me on youth nights. He stayed, he stayed around to help clean up. And as he got older, he was my number one student leader and volunteer. He did about anything possible in his reach to see Jesus lifted up in that youth group and to help me succeed, really. And I was blown away by the change. Like, what is happening? This is the kid that was trying to humiliate and destroy me three weeks ago. That, that could have gone way differently had I let a trial serve up the temptation to deck him. Because that would have led to the destruction of my reputation in ministry. And that's why James doesn't give you a lot of techniques about, you know, how to live this. He just says, receive with meekness the implanted word. Some of, some of us, our problem lies in, in life. Like, man, we, we don't, I just don't listen to the word of God. Why is that? Because you go, I, I got it. I think I know how to run my life. I, I know what I'm doing. And you just keep on doing that. But at some point you got to ask yourself, how is that working out for you? And at some point you may look up and say, you know what? This is the, my decisions have not led me to life and it's not led me to the righteousness of God. So maybe let's try a different way and let me hear the word of God because it, it just might set you free. Free from some real destructive decisions and open to what God may do in your life if you're ready to receive it. And so that's why it says, 
I keep, I keep on saying it, with meekness, receive the implanted word. Decide now that I'm gonna look into it and I'm gonna be liberated by it and I'm gonna get into it and I'm gonna let it get into me. And I'm, I'm, I'm gonna look in it and then I'm, I'm gonna go live it. That's what he says. I'm gonna receive the planted word and I'm gonna get into this book. And then he says, he who peers intently into the perfect law of liberty. It's, it's the word there meaning stooped down. I wanna get in. I wanna get into this book. And I, I don't wanna miss this opportunity this morning to just encourage you to prioritize getting into the word of God, which is life. <laughs> this book creates space every day to, to read it. A lot of people you know, like to use a SOAP acronym. They find it helpful if, you're, if you journal, S-O-A-P, S is for scripture, O stands for observation, A is the application, P is prayer. And, and so you, you read scripture, you observe something about the text and, and you write it down. A is for the application. You think, what does this mean for my life? How do I apply this? And then you write your prayer to God. And so we could go to James chapter one, verse one, super simple, right? Um, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. An easy observation from this, James is a servant of God, right? And, and, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how can I apply this personally? I am a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. My prayer could simply be, thank you, God, that I am a child of God. Thank you for my family and that you love me. And if you just sit with just that one verse for just a moment, think about it and you, you see how this applies in your life. How beautiful is that? Because how many of us, when we walk into work on Monday morning, we do not live out that identity. You know, we live out, I'm the one that's been slighted. I'm the one that's not getting the respect I deserve around here. And I'm the one that's getting stepped on. or I'm the one that nobody sees. And we come out of this victim mentality rather than a victory one. And, and what happens then, rather than trials bringing up temptations, we let our identity determine our activity. And so what would happen if you walked in tomorrow and you say, you know what I am? I'm a child of God in this room. That's what I am in this room. I am loved. I am a servant of God in this office. I'm here to love these people in this city. I'm gonna bless those who persecute me. I'm, I'm gonna be a source of light in a dark place, if it's a dark place. I'm gonna be a gift and a blessing to this world and not a victim of it. And I am the one who has victory because of what God's hand put in me. He's given me life. And so that's a little bit different, huh? What if we walked in with an identity like that? How would you be different? How would your office be different? How would your city, your neighborhood be different? How might your thinking be different if you got the word of God into you? I wanna encourage you as James is get the word of God into you. So if you've ever come to me as your pastor and asked for counseling, I always, one of the first, I, I always want you to know a couple things up front. Number one, I'm not a professional counselor. I don't know, I, people go to school for, to receive training for that. I don't have that. <laughs> And so I don't know, uh, you know, where or how that became an expectation, you know, on the person of the pastor. But number two, that said, I will give you scripture and knowledge from my personal experience. And I will pray with you and for you. That's what I can give you. That's what I have to offer. If you come at me with a really complex question about some family issues in your house, I'm gonna ask Holy Spirit to bring a scripture to mind that speaks the word of God life into you. Maybe you're going through some sort of relationship issue. I might take you to a verse in Colossians. You know, I, I don't have Jedi counseling skills like some of you do. <laughs> but regardless, listen to this. If someone comes to you for counsel, you know what I think makes all the difference in the world? God's word. God's word. If I read my Bible and they don't, then I have something eternal and good attached to the promises of God to offer them. So yeah, the prompt this morning is I should probably read my Bible. 
Because when you have God's word in your heart and Holy Spirit is prompting you, then you can, then you can make wise, you could be wiser than any counselor. And I'm not dogging counselors. I believe in them. I go to one myself. I refer people to them. But what I am saying is that the word of God can really give you brilliant words to say because this is the word of God. <laughs> I've seen it. The word of God through you can be like a balm of healing to people that are hurting around you. You can offer others the very words of life and that's what God's given you. So receive with meekness the implanted word and look deeply into the law of liberty. But then James says, you, could, you can't just look at it, then you gotta go do it, right? It's not just the looking, it's the living, that I'm gonna get into this word and I wanna encourage you to ask God even now to picture where you are in your mind, somewhere in your house, this city, in the Black Hills, where you can steal away to read God's word, that you can sneak away, just you and him. Imagine where those places would be. Go to those places, prioritize this. Then you, can, you, you, you can't just look at it, you've gotta live it because you're blessed in the doing. I mean, that's, that's part of James, right? He's, he's, he's gonna tell you to get off your feet. It's the same way that reading about exercise will not get you in shape. <laughs> At some point, you've gotta get out there <laughs> and get something done. <laughs> Jim like that. And James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who, goes, um, who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgets what he was like. And you go, what does that mean? It's a little bit complicated, but he's, he's talking about the Old Testament idea of when I forget something, that means I'm not living in accordance to what I just interacted with. Or a simpler way to say it is, I heard, I've heard a pastor say it once, this is an over-exaggeration, but somewhat accurate. He says, come to the Bible the way a woman looks at a mirror, not a man. Because what, 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 is, what does the atypical man come to do and look at a mirror? He's there for half a second and then he walks back off, right? That's how, that's how but how do women come to me? They come with the expectation that something will change as a result of that encounter, Right? That they're not just going to look in that mirror. They're going to look at it and go, oh, we're going to fix this. Or we're going to do this. Can you give me your, you know, your, your tool from your tool set? And you know, <laughs> let me work on this here. Can I borrow you? Yeah, we're going to do that. And we're going to get some stuff done to make myself better as a result of this encounter. And James says, you don't just have a book and, and a quiet time and bam, and then you leave. He says, you look into this word and you change as a result of the encounter. That you go, I'm not just going to look at it, but I'm going to live it. I'm not going to walk away and then forget, but I'm going to read about being a child of God and ask what implications does this have in the way that I speak to the person, you know, who, who I'm interested. I'm going to go, go read about the fact that I'm forgiven and go, what implications does that have for the person who hurt me? And, and I'm going to make this encounter with the word of God change the way that I encounter you, that I'm not just going to look at it, but I'm going to live it. Another way to look at it, if you're a professional quarterback, what are you going to be doing preseason? You'd be intently locked into studying your team's playbook with all the little X's and O's, right? You're going to learn those plays. There would be a contrast between the way a student studies it at a, a typical high school student who cares less about studying for the upcoming physics test because, you know, that has no implications for my life. The professional quarterback studies as if his life depends on it because several 300-pound pen are going to come running at him. Right? And it makes a big difference at that moment if he's supposed to step left or right. That's how we're meant to study the word of God. That this is the very word of life. That, that life is hard, but this law brings liberty. That if I walk in accordance with it, I will be blessed in the doing. There's so much good that can be brought forth from the people of God who live according to the will of God. So closing thought. 
if we look at the church and you ask the question, how do you do it? What's the answer? Uh, when John was trying to summarize the person of Jesus, which was a difficult thing to do, sum up Jesus in a sentence, how do you do it? John just kept on saying he was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. He was so full of grace. Didn't matter what you did. He'd love you. He'd sit with you. He'd cry with you. He'd hold you. And he was full of truth. He was going to give you the uh, unvarnished reality about who you are and how, and, and, and how the world works and what God is doing. Full of grace and truth. As a church family, we are a Jesus church. And we're going we're gonna to give the world the, the few things that they really can't get anywhere else. The supernatural love of God, the grace of God, and the word of God. The truth that illuminates minds and changes hearts. It's powerful enough to birth new life in you. Strong enough to plant in you like a seed with the potential of liberating you from an ocean of bad decisions. And to set you free on a course where you can be blessed and to bless others. Why? Because of the living and the enduring word of God. We are built on the foundation of grace and truth. We are. The love of God through the son of God. And so if I can encourage you with anything today before we get out of here, let's follow this book where it leads. <laughs> because at the end of the day, it gives you, you know, it gives you ways to handle money and, and relationships and family and conflict. And we, we like to have those discussions here because it's the word of truth. But Jesus told a group of followers, he said this, you know what, you're, you know what the problem is? <laughs> you search the scriptures, you got them all in your mind thinking that it's in you, you'll find life. But he says, they testify about me. Paul called it the tutor meant to lead you by the hand to Jesus. That, that the law, this book, is a story that's meant to lead you to the hero of the story, the very word of God, Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life that you could not and died the death that you deserved and rose victorious from the grave and now offers you new life in his name, free of charge, mercy but that mercy will not leave you unchanged. That when you put your faith in him, he put his word in you and it changes you. And as you walk with him, he blesses you. He does the work first and then you begin to do the work that he's called you to do. That's the gospel. And that's my hope for all of us today, that you would follow the word to lead you to the word who is Jesus Christ. And then you'd walk with him every day in his word and let him lead you. I promise you, you'll be blessed in the doing. Amen. Father God, we thank you for this time this morning. And we just ask, Lord, that your word would create us all anew this morning. There, there may be some that are, are looking at this um, this morning and, and, and thinking about that kind of new life. Lord, that it would be implanted in us. It would be deep within us and that from that would come the liberty that you talk about, the freedom that you would lead us. Lord, I thank you that you are the word of God and you bring life. So God, help us to love your word and to, to find time and to, to, to just fall in love with it, to, to, to consume it, that it's the, the very food, the drink to sustain us, to give us new life. God, we thank you for it. If you're here this morning and um, Jesus isn't a part of your story. Um, he hasn't been, or maybe he was. Um, I want to give you the opportunity to say yes to new life this morning. 
he's never changing. So no matter the storms, you know, he's, he's the constant. He's the firm foundation. He's the, the strong hand um, that can be a rescue to you in a storm. So if that's you, I, I wanna pray with you. I know Holy Spirit's already stirring something in you, whether you're here or, or online. I wanna pray a prayer with you and I want all of us to pray it aloud. Let's pray this. Jesus, I give you my life. I wanna follow you. Thank you for your word that speaks life to me. I want to follow you through these words. Thank you for the cross. It gives me new life. You gave up everything, all for me. So I follow you with my life. In your mighty name, amen.